Hello there, friends, and welcome to the second episode of Tangents Abound. My name is Aaron Henley, and I thank you all for joining me on the show. Well, first off, I'd like to announce that I hit my goal. Yes, I had five people who weren't related to me actually listen to the show, so I'm very excited about that. I also got feedback, comments, and an email, and I'm going to cover all that in just a few moments, but right before that, I want to thank everyone for their thoughts and who contributed to the podcast. I really, I really appreciate that. I, I'm still kind of shocked someone actually cared enough to send me something, so thank you. Also, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Tangents Abound was originally at tangentsabound.blogspot.com, but since I discovered I am a complete and total noob at HTML and setting up RSS feeds and all this thousand and one things that go into a podcast that they don't really tell you when you start, and I kept getting conflicting information from every internet guide I went to, I went to a podcast host who pretty much walked me through the whole thing, and now the show can be found at Tangents Abound, still spelled the same, but it's dot Lipson, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. So that's where the show will be from now on. And I did post a, a note on the, on the Blogspot site to direct you to the new web host. Okay, so let's get into my first feedback. Oh, I'm so excited! <laughs> um, also, one other thing I need to clarify. I will happily read any and all feedback I get as long as it's family-friendly. I need to clarify that. I received some that wasn't, so I can't talk about that because I am a family-friendly show. So just keep that in mind. I appreciate the comments and feedback, but if it's not family-friendly, it will not air. Okay, so first I have a post from an anonymous listener who said, I enjoyed your passion for the cast. Keep it up. Also, maybe give your thoughts on books versus movies versus comics and how they mesh. I haven't been into the books, but I'm definitely into the movies and comics. Well, Anonymous Listener, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Also, the uh, books, movies, I'll go into more details with, mainly because I, if I wanted to, I could make this a Star Wars podcast, but because I could talk about that for days and weeks. But I want to get into all sorts of stuff to try and build passion and to other things of geek culture, but don't don't worry. I will be keeping on with Star Wars. It's I'm just trying not to make it a Star Wars podcast because there's a lot of other great ones out there, and I'll be talking about that in just a minute. So I have a second anonymous listener who posted saying, I have to agree. I enjoyed your passion. I am not familiar with X-Wing nor some of the non-mainstream movies in the Star Wars franchise, but your enthusiasm carries it well. I did think that the interlude of actual sounds from X-Wing went a little long, but it might have thrilled someone who remembered it. Don't be afraid to edit your voice, especially if you know you stumbled. Just back up and restate it to give yourself a good edit point. And I liked your occasional chuckle, too. Well, thank you, uh, listener. I, I understand keeping, you know, your name anonymous on the internet and not for anyone to see. I I understand that, but I just like to feel a little bad because I'm not giving you know you your proper due just by saying anonymous, but that's your choice, and I fully respect that because I really liked this comment. I'm not sure what you mean by non-mainstream movies because the only two I can think of were the two Ewok movies and maybe the droids and Ewoks cartoons, but other than that, I couldn't think of anything else. I also appreciate the fact that he did comment on my little audio interlude after listening to it on the show. I realized, yeah, maybe went just a 
shade too long, but I was just so happy I got the audio to work. So I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind for the future, especially before uh, I get a regular fan base going. Also, with the editing of my voice and when I stumble, that's just how I think. So I can't remember actually repeating stuff. So stumble, I don't have a backup point to edit. So I apologize, but that's just how I talk. So uh, if that bothers you and you don't want to listen anymore, that's fine. That's fine. But I just want to give you a heads up on that. And finally, for my uh, comments on the posts, I have one from Turtled Loves, and I like that because I love turtles. And it, and I'm going to clean it up a little bit. Um, I believe English may not be his first language, and if it's a woman, I also apologize. It says, good show. I liked it a lot. I enjoy hearing X-Wings. X-Wings are so cool. They are my favorite. Have a nice day, Aaron. Well, thank you very much, Turtle Loves. I appreciate it. So now I get to go into my first email. This is awesome. This is amazing. So this email comes from Gene Hendricks. He is a host on the Hammer Strikes podcast, the Quantum cast, and the Anime Freaks podcast. The Hammer podcast and Anime Freaks podcast can be found at 2 and I, I enjoy the Anime Freaks one. Uh, they're talking right now about a show called Star Blazers, which I never saw, but I really enjoyed it. It kind of went on a little bit of a hiatus, but uh, he assures me that more episodes are coming, so I'm looking forward to it. So Gene writes, Aaron, I just listened to your first episode and I was impressed. For someone that's never done this before, you did a great job. If I could give you any advice on the show, it would be to keep the topics with what you enjoy. Your passion for Star Wars and X-Wing really comes through, and I enjoyed listening to you talk about the topic. If you come at all your topics like that, it'll be a great show. As far as X-Wing goes, that was one of the first computer games that I had. I really enjoyed it, but I actually liked X-Wing Alliance more, partially because I could pilot a freighter. I never played TIE Fighter, mainly because I never actually completed the games I already had and couldn't justify getting yet another game. But I've heard great things about it. Along those lines, I wanted to make sure that you have seen this video. And footnote, the video he sent was a YouTube video of a short film uh, called, based off TIE Fighter, called TIE Fighter, which is uh, a heavily anime-inspired shorts, about seven and a half minutes. I'm definitely posting this in the show notes because this is an amazing video. I had seen it before, but I appreciate Gene sending it to me because this video needs to be checked out as many times as possible because it is simply beautiful. The visuals are amazing. The music is a hard rock. It's just perfect for a show based on flying a TIE fighter. And what's even more amazing is that this whole video was drawn and animated by one guy. It took him a few years, but just one guy did this. And whoever this person is, I really hope a professional anime house is smart enough to hire him because he is brilliant. That's all I have to say about that. Returning to uh, Gene's email, it says, Anyway, keep up the great work. I'll be sure to listen in two weeks. Gene. Well, thank you, Gene. And also, uh, don't worry. We will be covering X-Wing Alliance and to peel back the curtain a little bit, I already talked to Gene about this because I was just so excited I got an email. But uh, I will be covering X-Wing Alliance and TIE Fighter. I thought about doing it in the intro show, but when I started writing it out and 
just practicing it, I realized to give each game its property would take me about a half hour for each game, and you probably didn't want to listen to my voice for an hour and a half. <laughs> so, I'm thinking about maybe breaking them up, doing a subject, then going into TIE Fire, doing another subject, and then going into X-Wing Lines. I know there was X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, but that was a multiplayer game and I didn't have the internet at the time, so I'm only going to give that kind of brief lip service. But rest assured, there will be more Star Wars video game commentary coming. So, that concludes the feedback portion of the show, and I'd like to thank both Anonymous, Turtle Lover, and Gene for their feedback and email. It was really great. And if you'd like to leave some feedback, you can do it at tangentsabound.lipsit.com under the comments on the episode or at tangentsabound at gmail.com. And a link for that will also be in the show notes. Also, before I forget, I am going to put in a promo for a show that I love. However, they don't have a promo yet. So the name of the show is... J Guys and Jedi, a Star Wars The Clone Wars podcast, hosted by Hope Mullinax and Chris Honeywell. This is a great show. I've subscribed to it. I've been a listener since day one. I really encourage you to check it out, and you can find it at twotruefreaks.com. Okay, so let's get into this story that I love so very much. So, Superman, Lois, and Clark. This is a fun comic. I'm just going to get that right out of the gate. Now, when it comes to comic book reading, I'm not really a critical guy. I can't tell you who drew it, roughly who wrote it. In fact, the main reason I know comic book writers is through all the comic book podcasts I've listened to over the years. And I'm more of a story guy than an art guy so if i'm being told a good story i'll read it and if the art compliments that story that's great but i can't tell you whether or not this illustration matches with the writing i hope to maybe eventually get to that point and unless the art is really 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 wonky i'm just gonna say well it's really great because i can't draw a stick figure to save my life so anyone who can work in the comic industry as an artist or an inker has my utmost respect so the first place to start is the cover. Well, it's a nice cover. It has our three leads, Lois, Clark, and John, in the background with Superman in his new costume, bright up center. And what I really like, though, more is John kind of like holding up Clark's cape because it looks like he just opened up a chest and he just discovered, you know, like... You know, you, you go into your grandpa's chest, you open up, and you find out he was a world-famous, you know, fighter pilot or uh, or a soldier or something. You know, you pull up his uniform, and he hasn't talked about it, but you see all his medals and things. And, and that's where I really get out of that illustration. Um, it was drawn by, by Lee Weeks and inked by Brad Anderson. And it was really a good job. I, I love Brad Anderson's shadows on the illustration, and it's overall a great image. I enjoy it quite a bit. Now, it did have a variant cover. Hello, I'm that person who fixes the mistakes Aaron makes in the podcast. He forgot to give credit to, for the variant cover. It was drawn by Tony S. Daniel and Tony Morin. What an amateur. But I really 
don't like it at all. It does not fit the story at all. It's Superman in a black uh, costume, which I think is supposed to be reminiscent of the one he's wearing, but it's not a good cover for this story at all. It's him flying straight up with glowy red eyes, because how else will we know it's a Superman book unless he has the glowy red eyes? Um, okay, tangent abound time. The Supergirl Rebirth issue that just dropped, I love the cover. It's a beautiful cover. But they gave her the glowing red eyes. Why? She didn't need it. Just give her the nice blue eyes as she's flying, and it's a beautiful cover. If someone could Photoshop out the red eyes and put in an actual eye color, I would buy that comic in a heartbeat. So, tangent over. Now, this cover was done, there's a signature that says done in 2012, so this had to have been for a story where Superman was, I'm guessing, taken over by Apocalypse or something, because in the black costume, he's got his hand up, flying straight up, kind of almost like in a Heil Hitler style, with a bunch of alien tech behind him, so I don't know what story this was from, uh, because I had really fallen away from comics until DC Rebirth, and actually, this whole Superman, Lois, and Clark story got me back into comics, but it does not fit the tone of the story at all. I'm very disappointed that this was a variant cover. Okay, so the issue is Superman, Lois and Clark, Issue 1, Arrival, Part 1. Now, the way I'm going to talk about the comic is I broke it up into three parts. And I'll give a synopsis of the first part, go into my discussion points, and then we'll move on throughout the comic. And the reason I thought about doing this more than just one long synopsis and then giving my points after that was so that way what I'm talking about you can remember a little bit easier. Uh, if you prefer the other approach, just let me know. That's what the feedback's for. So let's go into some of the credits. First, this issue was released in October 14, 2015 with a cover date of December 2015. Now, the credits are Dan Jurgens, writer, Lee Weeks, penciler, Scott Hanna, inker, Brad Anderson, colorist, Andrew Marino, assistant editor, and Eddie Braganza, editor. So, let's dig into this thing because, oh, I'm excited. We open with the first Battle of Metropolis. See Justice League issues 1 through 6. Now, that's the new 52 Justice League. Viewing the battle, Clark, and I'm going to call him Clark throughout the story just to keep him separate from the new 52 Superman so we don't get confused. Clark is struggling not to involve himself in this battle. He sees the heroes fail and struggle and he is torn between intervening. However, after seeing the heroes victorious and with a new day and a new age dawning behind him, Clark takes off from his watchtower lookout. And I'm pretty sure Chloe Sullivan just went, Hey, wait a second! And he leaves the battlefield, but he doesn't leave it unwitnessed. We see the United States Air Force attempting to track him, a la Man of Steel, but since Clark is at least three times as fast as a speeding bullet and an F-22 is apparently only twice as fast, he easily outruns the pursuing fighters. Arriving at his and Lois's home, a farm in Kansas, of course, and by Kansas I mean California, Wait, what? <laughs> Anywho, curled up on the couch, Lois and Clark reminisce, i.e. catch me up to speed, on what has been going on with recent events in their lives. 
Clark is more downbeat and depressed about the changes he's seen from this more cynical world versus their more hopeful one. He focuses more on what they lost and was just one step away from the glowing red eyes of anger because, hey, it's been five pages in the story, it's time for that. Lois is feeling the same, but her focus is more on what she has now, her loving husband and their new son. Deciding that this world wouldn't accept him, Clark hangs up his cape and decides to help people more from the shadows. Lois agrees with the promise that no matter what they face, they do it together as a family. So, throughout this issue, I just love this, this little introduction. If we go to page one, panel two, we see Flash and Aquaman do a fastball special. And though it's really cool seeing Aquaman use his trident, I'm pretty sure Wolverine or Colossus may end up suing them on this one. <laughs> the other two panels on page one, one of Wonder Woman and one of Superman, is just visceral. The coloring is amazing. It's all bright reds and deep blacks, and it really shows the power of these two heroes fighting against Darkseid. It's just beautiful. Also, throughout the story, we only see two shots of New 52 Superman, and they don't show his face. It's either below us or Captain Shadow, and I like that because it keeps the uh, su that Superman separate and show that this is a different Superman story. Now, I have a question. Is that is, why is the U.S. military in the skies? I've never read uh, the Justice League issue, so I can't tell you. But my guess is maybe they're dealing with parademons. And all due respect, they're no match for the Man of Steel. Also, I'm wondering how the boom tube shutdown caused all the parademons and invading apocalyptic forces to disappear. Did it just kind of like do a little reverse the polarity thing and they got sucked back in like a giant vacuum? They did, didn't they? Okay. Also, we see some exposition on Convergence, which brought Lois and Clark to this reality. Since I never read it, this little background information really helped and actually makes me want to check it out, even though I heard it wasn't the best story. But it's intrigued me because it makes me have questions like, did Barry actually survive the crisis on Infinite Earths? Why is Parallax a good guy? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. And that's what good exposition or editor's notes in comics should do. They make us want to check out other stories and buy other issues. And that's one thing I miss is the editor's notes. You know, this event happened in this comic and this event happened in this comic, and then you go backtracking. And I miss that, because it made, it made the world so much more historic, I guess. It gave it a legacy without actually being a legacy. Now, this is what I loved, and I mean loved, in this issue. On page two, panel one, we see Clark's fist clenching. You can... He's clenching in so tight, you can almost hear the muscles and tendons tighten as he grapples with this decision. I'm sure if he was actually holding a lump of coal, it'd turn into a diamond by the time he was done. And then, page three. Oh, 
Oh my god. That is such a beautiful page. It's a one-page shot of Superman just standing on a rooftop with the sun behind him, the cape blowing in the wind, the John Williams music swelling to that da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, it's so great! Oh, I love it! The only criticism, and I hate saying this, the only criticism I have is the cape is a little short. Like Michael Bailey, who can be found at viewsmanlongbox.com, I love the John Byrne extra long flowy cape. Oh, but it's so also nice to see the red trunks. But it's a shame that they're not sticking around. And before you go, well, why is it, why do you care about the red trunks? The whole reason I cared was it kind of broke up the solid blue jumpsuit. It, it didn't make it just one big splash of blue, and and that's that's why I missed the red trunks. And now this is what got me into this story. The next four pages. And I apologize for not really using page numbers. I'm reading this off the uh, digital comicsology issue. I would love to have a paper copy. Unfortunately the nearest comic book store to me is about two and a half hours away. And I have no idea how to order paper comics. Now, I kind of, sort of know someone who works at a comic book store. And if she, you know, if, if her store ships them out, please drop me a line. Because I would gladly pay a little bit more to have a paper copy for a physical issue of comics that I love. But now going into this scene this is clark and lois just dealing with tragedy it's one's looking behind one's looking ahead they're struggling to adjust to new circumstances but they're determined to get through it and this has to be some of the most traumatic experiences they've had even more so than clark dying and coming back to life they've lost everyone and everything they've cared about. That has to be. If they actually focused on that, they would drive them insane. But they're willing to get through it. And I love that. I really do. To me, it seems like the closest I can equate it to is a loved one dying and a couple grieving, but having to move on because the loved one would want them to. So... That was just a great introduction to this issue, but now let's get into the meat. Some time has passed, either five or eight years depending on how Dan DeDio feels at the moment. We see young John Kent, I mean white, yeah, white, <laughs> doing his morning chores, creating a rock slide to dam up the flooding Colorado River, acting as a rail for a train to pass by, flying so fast he spins the earth backwards to reverse time and save his mom from suffocating. Uh, wait a minute. N never mind. <laughs> He's hauling firewood. After being defeated in his epic task by his arch-nemesis, Rusty the family's golden retriever, John complains to his mom about his incredible workload and asks why Dad wasn't around to do it. Lois tells John that the horse Apollo had gone out of his stall and that Clark had to leave to get him back. Pay attention, this is important. Getting another pot of coffee ready, Lois turns on the Expositional News Network. Copyright Michael Bailey, all rights reserved. Tangent abound. I am so happy I got to actually say that. I have waited so long to actually say that. <laughs> 
and we find out that a tsunami in the Pacific mysteriously subsided. Following the broadcast, we see a haggard Clark entering the kitchen. Apparently, Clark's powers have been going wonky lately, and digging a 13-mile trench in the ocean floor isn't as easy as it once was. Worried for her husband, Lois implies that maybe he should seek some advice from the other heroes or this World Star Labs. Clark claims he's capable of handling this, and an article in the local newspaper draws his attention. The spaceship Excalibur is returning from a 10-year deep space mission to Jupiter. Contact was lost a few months ago, and the crew is believed to be either dead or in dire straits. The commander of this mission is Hank Henshaw. No, not the Martian Manhunter who assumed his identity, not the nice Hank Henshaw. This is someone else, for you see, on Clark and Lois's Earth, the original Hank Henshaw was much more sinister. First becoming an insane Reed Richards, until we got an insane Reed Richards, thank you Ultimate Marvel, he eventually became Cyborg Superman. You know, the guy who caused the destruction of Coast City which turned Hal Jordan insane and ended up killing the entire Green Lantern Corps for their power rings and becoming Parallax? Oh, and also trying to nuke Metropolis and turn the entire Earth into War World. Yeah, not a really nice guy. So Lois is concerned. In fact, she's downright scared because the cyborg almost killed Clark a second time following his resurrection post-Doomsday. To calm herself, Lois, taking a page from Ma Kent, has been making a scrapbook of events that didn't happen or mysteriously fixed themselves. Clark is worried, and rightly so. Ma's ended up all over Metropolis and not always in the right hands. See from crisis to crisis for further details. But Lois tells him that this is for John when he's older to help him deal with what his dad has been doing in his spare time. You know, not chasing down horses and fixing tractors. Heading out, John notices that Clark's hair is wet from the ocean floor. Clark shrugs it off as he just got out of the shower. John replies that he didn't hear any water running. He then asks Clark which horse got out, and Clark replies, Zeus. Honestly, I think he should have asked Magnum and Higgins for help. Lois drags John to the minivan, and he puts the conversation out of his mind. Suiting up in a costume that brings out all sorts of great memories, Clark heads off to space to see if his fears about this world's Henshaw are about to be confirmed. Oh boy. There is nothing in this section I didn't love. We see Lois's smirk of pride in her boy to John trying to get out of doing his chores like any kid does. Oh, the feels on this are just through the roof. And I'm not afraid to say that because I like having feels. If a story gets me emotionally, I am in for the long haul on this. We definitely see something is wrong with Clark. He looks out of breath after running a marathon, and his shirt is untucked. I cannot stress how important this is. For Clark Kent's shirt to be untucked, this is a doomsday-level event, people. Doomsday-level event. And the scrapbook. Oh, the scrapbook. You know, somewhere out there, beneath the pale moonlight, in some other dimension... I like to think it's the same place that Earth 2, Clark, Lois, Superboy Prime, and Alexander Luther were in, but it has pies. There is 
Ma Kent, and she's patting Pa's shoulder and says, See? It's not such a silly idea after all, is it, dear? No rhubarb party for you tonight. <laughs> we also see that Lois is still as an investigative reporter as she always has been, only now she's using a pen name by the name of Author X and has written some really world-shattering exposés on Washington, on Wall Street, on the glass ceiling. But the one that really got to me is called Played Dry, America's Looming War Over Water. Now, I never really thought about this, but could this be a potential war with Atlantis? I don't know. But then again, Namor isn't in charge of this Atlantis, so it's not every other Tuesday that Atlantis invades. Now, the scene between the three characters is what really cemented this love I have for the story. And if I haven't made that clear, yeah, this is it. <laughs> we see that John is the son of two world-class investigative reporters, and it shows. Some people tend to shrug off Superman because, hey, he's Superman. No, he's Clark Kent. He's a very intelligent man. Superman is just the blue pajamas he puts on. And Lois, need I say more, world-class investigative reporter. And John, you know, seven or eight years old, he's still a kid, and he shrugs off his dad's inconsistencies in the story. But just the fact that he kept pressing Clark, it shows that he is both their son. And, and I really love that. I do so much. And now we get the first shirt rip of the series, and oh, it is glorious. Gleaming silver ass of her black bodysuit and a beard will Riker would be proud of. Oh, this is just a great design. I love it so much. The only complaint I have is that it didn't come with an optional long hair mold or Kryptonian warbot. And I can't complain too much about that. <laughs> okay, so the conclusion. After dropping John off at school, Lois meets with her editor, Cora, in a dark alley at night. Wait, night? Uh, didn't he just drop them off at school? Okay. To drop off a rough draft of her latest expose. The topic? Intergang. Yes, intergang. My geek senses are tingling now. <laughs> Due to the sensitive nature of the topic, Lois makes sure Cora wasn't followed. Cora assures Lois that she was careful, and Lois hands over the flash drive containing the rough draft. The two women leave the alley, unaware that a shadowy figure is watching from a nearby rooftop. He's shadowy. That's important. We see Clark orbiting Earth, awaiting the Excalibur's arrival. Everything seems fine with the shuttle, until an explosion in the rear of the craft sends the ship into a steep nosedive into Earth's atmosphere where, uncontrolled, it would burn up and become just another shooting star. Clark rushes in to save it, still hoping the best for the crew, and that's something that's important to note. He's still hoping that all the crew is safe in that shuttle. Struggling against the inertia, wind, and g-forces, Clark manages to slow the Excalibur enough to crash land in a jungle. Rushing to the airlock, Clark finds that there is only one survivor. And if you didn't guess who it was, you don't read comic books. And that, of course, was Hank Henshaw. 
Back at Lancaster Elementary School, we should see John doing what I wish I had the guts to do back then. Only, instead of sneaking a comic book into his math book, it's a smartphone playing a broadcast of the news report on the shuttle's crash landing and how a man attempted to rescue it. He gets caught and is sent to the principal's office. Finally, on the last page of the story, on a distant planet in a distant star system, a warrior woman, whom I'm going to call Space Xena for now, seeks a mysterious object called the Oblivion Stone that has been stolen from its museum exhibit, and she vows to slay anyone who gets in her way of retrieving it. Oh, this was a great part three. I don't have a lot of notes because it's more of an action scene with this. Um, we see Clark saving the shuttle, and it's great. It's a great four pages of action. But again, it's just action, so I can't really say much. If you've seen the playing catch scene from Superman Returns, you kind of get a feel of what this is, only more on fire. But the page, and again, I hate not having page numbers anymore. Page 22 on the comics on my issue. The scene of the space plane on the bottom panel space of the shuttle has to be a direct homage to Man of Steel number one and Clark saving the space plane. And since that was the same Clark, this is so cool. <laughs> so it may not be, but I like to think in my head because that front end looks a lot like the space plane from Man of Steel number one. And Dan Jurgens. You know, is Dan Jurgens? What more can I say about him? He's the guy who wrote Superman. <laughs> oh, now looking at the art and the coloring for for Lois's clandestine rendezvous, not that kind. I see some light in the background, which I thought was maybe a street light because there's a lamp there, but maybe it's the sun, so it. There isn't a time uh, shift. But you'd think she'd learn to check all her surroundings or get some training from Batman about that. Well, then again, he never learned to mind his surroundings either, so what can you do? Oh, and the scene of John at school. Oh, this was just great. He's in math class. His teacher catches him. He First off, he comes up with a joke. But when the teacher pulls him to the principal's office, he still manages to give the correct answer to the math problem he wasn't even paying attention to. And again, this is a smart kid. I love it. I love it so much. But despite giving the right answer, he's still going to the principal, and he just gives the best comeback ever. Aw, oh, nuts. <laughs> I love it. Now, the last page, we see Space Xena, and it's obvious she's a tyrant. Um, the museum curator says that he wishes he had used the Oblivion Stone to stop her, that he could have saved his people. Well, he probably should have not said that, because guess what happened? She pulled a Darth Vader and decapitated him. Now, I have no idea who this character is. Well, do, because I read the whole story, but I still don't know what race she is. So I'm thinking, is she is the same race from, as Maxima? So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to finding out more about her. Now, overall, what a great start to a great series. And like I said, I never read the Convergence tie-ins, 
when I went into this. So I went into this story cold. I just saw Superman, Lois, and John Kent. And I'm like, okay, oh, I'm sorry. They're whites. They're the whites and right now undercover. I'm still going to call them Kents. And I didn't feel lost at all in this story. The shuttlecraft pr provided the requisite action piece for the issue, but honestly, I could have done without it because I was so invested in the Kent, well, I mean white, but I mean Kent family. The art is great, but like I said, I can't really comment on it or say what's bad or wonky, but it really told the story, and it got the characters' expressions right, it complemented the writing, and that, to me, is what art should do in a comic book. It shouldn't distract it should complement. And overall, a great issue and a great start to the series, and I really look forward to talking more about it. You should definitely pick up, well, pretty much all of these issues, but especially this one, just for if you're a Superman fan or a lab Superman fan like I was, because to be honest, I stopped reading comics about three, four years ago because I just couldn't afford it anymore. And so I missed pretty much the entire New 52. Well, that was actually five years when you think about it. <laughs> but we see Clark and Lois and John acting just as a great family. And Clark has been working hard behind the scenes. You know, he's just off-panel saving civilians when, you know, the parasite shows up or, you know, there's a battle suit or whatever. He's just off panel in all these New 52 issues saving people, and I like to think that. And he's even taken some of his knowledge from his old Earth and has gone up against some people to help prevent them from becoming the villains that they were on his Earth. It doesn't say who, it just says, hope to forestall their emergence by tracking them down secretly. Found old names that were no longer problems, and new names that were. So we see he's been working, he's never stopped being Superman. And that is who Clark Kent is. If he can help someone, he will. Whatever the world says can go take a break. And I'm really trying to keep this family friendly right now because I really want to say some choice words, but I'm designing this for young listeners so anybody can listen. Superman, and that, <laughs> tangents abound, and that is why I hate Batman v Superman so much. It got the heart of the character wrong. So wrong. And that's all I have to say about that. <clears throat> well, that and the homicidal Batman, but that, what, I, I don't need to go into a rant on, on that. So, that is issue one. Now, you can find this, I'd say, pretty much anywhere. I have no idea. But you can definitely find it on Comixology. I can say that for 100% certainty. And it is definitely worth checking out. You could probably even find it by now in a back issue bin for maybe like a buck or two and like I said earlier if the person I know who works at a comic store can send me paper copies like I said I'd be happy to pay a little extra because if I'm paying cover price for a digital copy I'd gladly pay you know a couple bucks more for the actual paper copy because for one thing it makes flipping through pages a little easier also I really want to see what the colors look like on ink because digital you know it, it can be whatever the digital colors wanted. And also, there's just the smell of ink on paper for me that 
it just reminds me of home. <laughs> like I said, my mom was a librarian, so she really instilled a love for reading for me. And when tablets first came out, I was so against them because I'm like, give me a paper and ink. I'm happy because they never run a lot of battery power. And then I eventually got my first tablet because of comics and how good they looked on tablet. But I would really love to be able to have paper copies for my favorite stories. I don't know if the, yet if this has been turned into a trade. I'm going to look and let you know for the next episode. And if it is, I'm definitely buying it. But this is a great cliffhanger. So good story with the family. Oh, it You definitely need to check it out, friends. Uh, I, I can't say enough. And again, this is a positive place to knit, to geek out. And that's what I, I'm, I'm going to be doing. I do have one or two criticisms, like where the uh, shuttle crashed. The art's a little unclear as to where it was. There's a hut and it could in the lake and river, so it could be like somewhere in Papua New Guinea. But the people in the village are all in silhouette, and some of them look like they're wearing fezes or maybe not even anything at all. And I don't want to offend anyone, but it makes it a little hard to tell where this shuttle crashed. And, I mean, John with the smartphone, just, again, great, because he's just like his mom. When there's a good story, he, he latches onto it like a pit bull and won't let it go. And that's, again, he is the son of both their parents. And I love that so much. So please, again, check this issue out. And, well, we're coming up a little longer than I thought, but I appreciate you all listening. I'm going to try to definitely keep this under an hour, unless I have a guest, like I said. And I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know how much your time is valuable. And also, I'm going to try and keep feedback sections to no more than 10 minutes because I don't want them to overshadow the podcast. So if I get enough feedback that I don't cover yours in an episode, don't fret. It will be in the next episode. I, I will happily make sure to read all that because I appreciate it all so, so much. And I appreciate all of you, my friends, for listening. I really do. And I hope that you, you're intrigued enough to maybe just check this out. I know I'm going to ruin, uh, by doing these summaries and synopses and comments, I'm ruining the story. But still, check it out. I mean, <laughs> it happens to me in every comic book podcast. If I didn't know something, having someone explain it to me really helped. Uh, I'm looking at from crisis to crisis. I'm looking at the Fantastic Cast. I'm looking at just one of the guys. I'm looking at Hey Kids Comics, a Batman podcast. Not really, but they do enough Batman. I think I can safely say it's a Batman podcast. But it's just so good. And check out the shows I just mentioned and plugged because they are worth checking out. And all the people, again, I want to give a shout-out to who have helped me set this up and have given me feedback. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Anonymous listeners. Thank you, Turtle Love. And thank you, Gene Hendricks. I really appreciate it. So, next issue. Face-to-face with Intergang. Or Arrival Part (laughs) 2. Yeah, really creative name. The whole series is called Arrival Parts 1 through 8. So, I'm just going to use the uh, little stingers at the end for the titles because I think it's a little cooler than Arrival Part 1 and Part 2. And I probably should have said at the beginning of the episode, well, did I mention I'm an amateur and trying to figure this out? 
Okay. Well, thank you all, my friends, once again. Have a good morning, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Tangents Abound is a free podcast. No money is made on the production or distribution of this podcast. Any and all audio clips used in this podcast are for education and review purposes only. No copyright infringement is intended, and all copyrights are owned by the respective copyright holders. Thank you.